check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to the May 2010 Leadership Podcast of Perry Noble. My name is Shane Duffy and I'll be your host today. And what I want to do before we get into today's topic is to make sure that you guys are aware of the leadership conference that we will be hosting September the 16th, 2010. It is going to be an amazing day of straight leadership talk from some of the best leaders in the country. Mark Driscoll, Judah Smith, Judd Wilhite, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, and Francis Chan. You do not want to miss it. The rates go up on August the 2nd. We have a early bird rate of $149 right now, but on August 2nd, it's going up. So do not miss that. Seats are going fast. Get registered. It's one day. It will not be on the internet. If you want to see it, you have to be here. So don't miss that. Well, what we're going to do today is address the topic that many leaders face. We all make good decisions, right decisions. We're doing what we think we're supposed to do, and yet we still face resistance. And so Perry addressed that in an all-staff meeting a couple of years ago, and I thought it'd be interesting for us to take a look back at that topic at that meeting. But before we do that, I want to let you guys know a little bit about what a New Spring all-staff meeting is or what it consists of. Uh, I guess it was uh, several months ago, really probably a year and a half ago, Perry decided that we needed to meet as an entire staff once a month and so we do that the meetings last about two hours and what we do is take time to recognize victories in various ministries uh, from all over our staff and also Perry uses that time to teach whether it's a leadership training ministry casting vision or just simply rallying our staff around a common cause for that season of our ministry and so Perry as we get started I'd really like to take a second and just ask you why was it important for us to meet, or why is it important for us to meet as a staff every month? You know, one of the things in a in a church that gets um, unclear very quickly is communication, especially as a staff begins to grow larger. Um, back in the early days of New Spring Church, everybody used to come to the staff meeting, um, including the, like the receptionist. And so I had the worship leader and the receptionist in the same staff meeting, and so communication is pretty clear. But as your as your staff grows larger. Um, you know, we used to have uh, one person in the children's area, and now we've got like 20 people in the children's area. And so it's, it's important to get all those people together because when that happens, um, people that work in the youth area don't hear on a consistent basis all of the awesome things happening in the children's area. And the people in the children's area um, at one campus might not hear about the, all the amazing things happening at another campus. So it allows our staff time to get together, to hear what God's doing in every vari- or every area of ministry. And it also allows me a time to get the whole staff together and communicate clearly. This is what's going on. This is what I feel like the Lord wants me to teach. This is, what, this is where we're heading. This is what we're doing. And it's, it's just an amazing time. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think doing something like that is important for any church organization? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, I remember... Um, once again, in the early days of New Spring, when I when we didn't have a large staff, I mean, we just we didn't. Um, I would get all the volunteer leaders together and, and do this. And um, now, because the the staff is larger, I do this with the staff. But then we have certain staff members that do this with their volunteers as well. They get their because once again, um, clear communication from the leader is essential in any organization. Mm. Well, with that being said, let me just ask you this. Why is this important for you? It's important for me because, honestly, I love our staff. 
and I want them to get together once a month. And it's like a big party celebration. I mean, it really is one of the highlights of the month for me to get everyone together. Um, the last staff meeting we had was unbelievable. The life change stories we're hearing take place. And um, I, I, I just love that environment. So if for no other reason, it's an incredibly selfish thing that I want to get the whole staff together um, once a month just to celebrate. Well, just speaking to someone who sits in the crowd at that meeting, I know it energizes me for what I do just simply to hear, like you said, all the life change stories that take place that otherwise I probably wouldn't hear. Right. And also I know it's a big deal in an organization to protect from creating silos and people just doing their ministry the way they do it. And I love the fact that that day I feel like we are a big team all doing the same thing just in different positions. So it's it's huge for the people sitting in the crowd too. So I would definitely encourage you leaders out there to do something to get in front of your entire organization to make sure they're hearing clearly from you what you want to do, but also give them an opportunity to speak to you then so you can know what they're doing too. So with that, what we're going to do is something we've not done, and that is listen in on an all-staff meeting. We've never broadcast an all-staff meeting. We've never made that available to anyone. So I would say that for you listeners there, you're going to get a sort of an unfiltered peek behind the New Spring Curtain uh, as we listen into an all staff meeting that was brought that was had on April or in April of 2008 before we ever launched our first satellite campus so the perspective then uh, looking forward and I think we'll have some interesting discussion when this is over so let's take a listen to a little bit of that meeting from April 2008 2nd chronicles chapter 19 now don't read it right now but um read it maybe another time there's a king in, in Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom that kind of broke away from Israel. There's a king in, in, in Judah named Jehoshaphat, and, um, which I think somebody needs to bring that name back. I'm just saying. Justin, if y'all have kid number two, Jehoshaphat. I'm just saying. Je Jehoshaphat was king in Judah, and in Second Chronicles chapter 19, Jehoshaphat appointed these judges to go all around the kingdom and teach everybody God's word. And the Bible says Jehoshaphat's heart was good, and he did what was right and pleasing in the sight of, uh, in the sight of God. And so Jehoshaphat kind of commissioned these teachers to go around the kingdom and kind of teach the Word of God. In other words, he was kind of trying to get everybody focused on the Word of God. Jehoshaphat was doing what was right. Jehoshaphat was doing what is good. And the myth that many times we can buy into as a church staff is that when we do what is right and good, that good things are always going to happen to us. But Jehoshaphat was doing what was right and good in 2 Chronicles, um, Chronicles chapter 19. And then in chapter 20, we see all hell break loose in Jehoshaphat's life. It, just kind of read. Here we go. Um, verse uh, 1. After this, after what? After he appointed all these judges and rulers and was trying to get people focused on the word of God. In other words, he was doing what was right in the, in the Lord's eyes. The Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. So he got attacked. So after he was doing what was right, the enemy came against him. And the verse 2 said, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already at, at Hazadon Tamar, or wherever that place is. That is in Gedi. In other words, Jehoshaphat is the king, and in his mind he is doing what is right and good in God's sight. And the next thing you know, somebody comes to him and says, hey, there's three nations, there's at least three nations described that right there in that passage, and they're all coming against you, 
And, you, and by the way, they're not at home. They're already on the way. In other words, the enemy is on the way to get you, and the reason that the enemy is on his way to get you is because you have done what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. And guys, one of the things we've got to understand is as change comes, and as we're getting ready to go to Greenville, and as we're getting ready to go to Florence, we're n this is not going to get easier spiritually. It's going to get tougher. And we just think we've fought some battles with the enemy right now. We're going to fight bigger battles. You go back to 1 Samuel. When David, when David was a shepherd boy, he went out and fought the lion and the bear. At, at that time, David thought the lion and the bear were big battles. And, but David didn't stop and celebrate over the lion, and he didn't stop and celebrate over the bear, because if he would have celebrated over the lion and the bear, he would have never seen the true giant that God wanted him to take down. All we fought is lions and bears. We haven't fought a giant yet. You know, Jehoshaphat was doing what was right in God's sight, and the enemy came against him because the enemy is always ticked when, when a ministry or a church or a nation does what is right in the sight of the Lord. And so that's the, that's the first thing that, that I really saw is God told me, it, you just think you fought some battles, but your battles are on the way. Now, uh, and, but by the way, that doesn't scare me. That excites me that God thinks enough of us to allow us to handle more adversity. You know, some people would say, well, I just couldn't handle that. And I'm like, exactly. That's why God wouldn't let you go through it, because you couldn't handle it. The more adversity that we face means the more that God knows that we can handle. That just kind of pumps me up. So, Perry, why do you think so many leaders fall prey to the myth that if we do what's right and good, we won't face any problems or resistance? Um, bad Bible teaching. Uh, you know, it's like that whole thing, well, if you do what's good... Um, it's kind of like the idea of karma invades the church or karma meets the Bible. So if you do what's good, God's going to reward you, um, which we do get rewarded, and that is taught in Scripture. It's just not um, if you do what, what's good, you're going to drive a Mercedes. Uh, I mean, th that, that whole line of thinking really doesn't match up with Scripture. I mean, look at Peter, um, pretty successful businessman. Uh, had the large catch of fish. I mean, he's doing quite well for himself, follows Jesus, winds up crucified upside down. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, pretty successful religious leader, gets saved, which I think that probably still needs to happen. There's some religious leaders out there that need to get saved. Anyway, gets saved, and after that, he's beaten, shipwrecked, um, stoned, um, the old-fashioned kind, not the kind that we know, and all these horrible things happen to him all because he's following Jesus. And so in church world today, um, there's so many books out there on church growth written by people that have never pastored, and, and it's like, if you do this, 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 and this, then everything will go well. But reality is this. I've seen a lot of guys in church world do it right, and things fall apart. Um, by the way, I define doing it right as being obedient to the vision of God. Um, that's what doing it right is. It's not, um, I read a book and did it like he told me to. I mean, it's being obe obedient to the vision of God. And man... Being obedient to the vision of God will get you crucified. Um, I, just look at the guy we follow. Yeah, that's the. I was just, as you were saying that, I thought about the fact that isn't it a telltale sign uh, of a lack of vision? Is if you're looking elsewhere to find a way to do things right and good to plant a church, right, and not listening to what uh, God has instructed you to do. 
Do you think that attitude is pessimistic? No, I don't think it's pessimistic at all. I think it's realistic. Pessimistic is the person that goes around and tries to find a problem with every solution. Or pessimist is the guy in the room that's the devil's advocate, which, I mean, the devil doesn't need a freaking advocate. He does a great job by himself. Um, he needs no help, especially on a church staff. Um, a pessimist is somebody that's always whining, always complaining. A pessimist is the guy that goes to your office and tells you he doesn't have enough time to do his job um, while he should be doing his job instead of being in your office telling you about it. That's a pessimist. A realist is like, you know what, guys? There's a storm coming. Um, well, you're being pessimistic. No, actually, I heard the thunder rumble, and I'm seeing some clouds gather, and I noticed your windows are down. So you can either take this as realism or pessimism. Either way, um, you're going to need to go roll your windows up. Um, you know, just, just don't be stupid about the whole thing. So when, you, when, when somebody attempts something great for God, um, you're going to receive opposition. Go Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up, has this unbelievable vision to build a wall, and the Bible says that Sanballat and those guys were just really ticked about the whole thing because they didn't want the wall built. I mean, there's always going to be some sort of, of opposition, and that's not being pessimistic. That's just, that's just what happens to people that follow Jesus. What can you... How can you know if the facing of resistance is actually a confirmation that you're doing the right thing? Um, you, if the same people that resisted Jesus are resisting you, then you're doing the right thing. Uh, it's kind of funny, the, the, the resistance, quote, unquote, we get around here. I was, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, we have a folder here we call hate mail. And it's the unsigned letters, and it's the really negative emails and stuff like that that we get. Um, in over 10 years of ministry, we've gotten one letter from someone who claimed they were an atheist, that, were, that they, they were really offended at what we were doing. Every other letter has been from somebody that claims to be a follower of Christ. Um and I just take that as, well, we're receiving resistance from the right people because you're, you're going to get resistance. So I would rather get resistance from the people that resisted Jesus rather than the people that he came to, you know, he came to reach. In what ways do you think it's actually a good thing for a church to be facing resistance? Well, I mean... <laughs> If you're, if you're not facing resistance, then I would say you're probably not trying to push the ball down, down the field. You know, an offense that's trying to score always has to go up against the defense. Um, the only time, like if, if the offense gets the ball and runs backwards, the, the defense is probably going to be like, hey, man, I like playing this game. Mm -hmm. But if the offense is being aggressive and trying to put the ball in the end zone, the defense is going to resist them. So I would say if you're not receiving any resistance, um, man, like run a trick play, do something. God help us, throw the ball downfield. Give the ball to somebody else. Fire the coach. Do something, but try to score. I mean, that's, that, that's, our, that's what we're supposed to do. That's good. I used to go to a church where the preacher would say that if you don't meet the devil every day, you must be going the same direction as him. Oh, that's good. You know, sometimes you got to be facing resistance. Uh, you mentioned in there, uh, and I thought it was a great example of David, 
you know, everybody knows the story of, of David and Goliath, but many people overlook the fact that he was in some ways prepared for that battle because he had earlier faced lions and bears. So what are the lessons do you think you are learning or New Spring Church is learning from facing these smaller battles, these lions and bears? You know, Shane, this pops uh, May of the year 2000. Church was five months old, and I used an illustration that I thought would be funny um, about there are some people that believe we never really did land on the moon in the 60s. Um, As I'm talking about this, there are some conspiracy theorists right now that are forming an email to me in their mind about how we never landed in the moon on the moon, and that's awesome. When you email me, please let me know where the Loch Ness monster is, and also let me know about Area Fifty One because I'm and who killed Kennedy. Anyway, I, I just used that illustration, and I just said, "Hey, there's some people that think we didn't land on the moon." Ha 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 ha! I thought it was really funny until Wednesday. I got a letter from an attorney who had attended our church the following. Are the previous Sunday, and in that letter, this person outlined for me all the reasons that we never landed on the moon, which was not really the point of the sermon. But um, anyway, so I, because I'm so godly and mature, sat down and crafted a response that pretty much blew this person out of the water. I was feeling very good about myself. And then I had a conversation with um, a guy that was... um, an elder at the time, now he's on staff, Ken Wilson, and I was like, hey, man, this is what happened, and this is how I'm going to respond, and what do you think? And I thought he was going to look at my response and go, oh, my gosh, you are the smartest, godliest pastor in the world. I'm so glad I follow your leadership. And he just kind of looked at it and said, "Um, yeah, that's great, Perry, but the Bible says have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Uh-oh. And I was like... Well, I mean, but but what I said was good, right? Like that was like it was good, right? And but he was right. The Bible says have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. And so I just um I just wadded up my, my response and I threw it in the trash can. Now I kept the attorney's letter because I still keep, I've still got it. It's it's kind of funny to read from time to time just to remind me, hey, you know what? We're going to be really tempted to dive in at times to fight foolish and stupid arguments. At the time, Shane, that letter to me was a giant. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being attacked. This church is being attacked. The ministry of Jesus is being attacked. Christianity might shut down. But as I'm looking back now, I'm like, it's a letter from somebody that didn't look like an illustration. Mm-hmm. I'm so, Yeah, okay. I use illustrations every week that somebody's probably not going to like, but they're not worth fighting about. They're, they're just not worth it. Uh, you know, another thing I just wanted to bring up for a second, because you talk about uh, in that staff meeting, us facing lions and bears. And, you know, we have, in addition to the letter from the, the moon landing theory conspiracy person, uh, we've had some negative press in local papers, mm-hmm. whether that be articles or even comments on articles. Right. Um, and... You've encouraged us to realize that that's a lion or a bear that one day CNN or Fox or somebody might be coming after us, and how we fight these smaller battles will prepare us later. Tell us about just dealing with criticism that's even outside the church body. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to do a blog post on this sometime and just, just say this. I don't have a problem with critics. I have a problem with buttholes. 
Um, and I think there's a huge difference. If somebody has a problem with what I'm doing and lovingly, um, with grace and with a sincere desire to correct what they perceive to be a problem, wants to point that out. Um, and, and, and I have a relationship with this person and I, and I respect them and they respect, you know, there's a respect level there. Man, I can't think of a time that I haven't been willing to, to listen to that. Um, it's the butt. It's not the critics I have a problem with. It's the buttholes. I mean, they're just. I mean, that's just the. That's the nicest word I can think of to describe. And, and and Shane, I don't have time for it. You know, the kingdom of God is is too. Um, the kingdom of God is too important, and hell is too hot for me to argue with people that didn't like the opening song from Sunday. Um, th- there's just some arguments that aren't worth having. If people go, I didn't like this and I didn't like this, and I'm like, I think one of the biggest mistakes a leader can make is to assume that they can fully explain themselves to someone who do- who don't want to understand them um, to begin with. And so um, if-, if somebody is seeking an- a sincere explanation or they've got a sincere problem or a sincere question, you know, as a staff member, we've always been willing to sit down and have those conversations. It's just the rear ends that that yeah. I just don't have time for them. Well, something you say often, I've heard you uh, mention this in your coaching network and even on your blog, that you will always listen to somebody you know that loves Jesus and loves you. Yes. And so you can trust that. Yes. It's the people outside of that circle you have to be careful of because as a leadership team, I know we have gotten distracted by some criticism. And so I just want to take a second as we move on to something that's not, you know, criticism in regards to resistance, for you to just speak to the importance for the leaders out there to recognize these lines and bears for what they are, these smaller battles, so they don't get off task. What would you say to them? Yeah, you know, I remember I would see something online that was talking about me are talking about our church in a negative manner, and I would walk down the hall and ask everybody, have y'all seen this? Have y'all seen this? And by the end of the day, I've got everybody pissed off because this one person who we don't even know, who doesn't even have a church, and 22 people read his blog, and that's including his extended family, um, he, or, you know what I'm saying? I've got everybody focused on this. Everybody's angry, and we're not doing our job. I mean, our, our job is to try our best to take the gospel outside these walls. And so I would say, you know, Listen, I did a blog post back not too long ago called Listen to Your Coaches, Not Your Critics. Mm-hmm. I've never been to a college football game or a pro football game where the player actually stopped playing and walked into the stands and listened to the fat guy holding a hot dog and a beer tell him how to play the game. Um, he listens to his coaches, and he listens to his teammates. He listens to the guys on the field getting sweaty and dirty and bloody with him. He'll listen to those guys, and he listens to the guy that has some authority over him, but he does not listen to the 80,000 people screaming at him what he should do. And so I would just say, listen to Jesus, listen to the people in the fight with you, understand that other people are going to be mad, don't focus on that stuff, focus on Jesus and what he's called you to do. That's good. Well, uh, the interesting thing about, at least for me, listening back to this was the fact that this was in April of 2008. You mentioned in the clip that we are about to launch our first two uh, campuses, uh, Greenville and Florence. And it's easy to see now, two years later, that your 
preparation for meeting resistance was was prophetic in some sense because we have met many levels of resistance and so i just wanted to hit you with a few that i recall and you may you may remember some others but how this is both um slowed us down maybe or got us off track or actually helped us down the road the first thing i want to throw out is technology when we went to greenville mm. Uh, we had the idea to do a live uh, broadcast of a center lockdown shot with IMAX screens. We knew of no one else in the country that was doing it, but we decided we would give it a shot. And for several weeks, we were losing the feed and losing that, and it was very, very frustrating. Definitely resistance. You recall those times? What What were those meetings like when we were talking about that? Oh, God. I recall yelling. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I literally recall yelling. I remember coming off stage um, one time, and I just preached a sermon. It was probably on patience or how to love God more or something like that. And, you know, me and all my godliness, I literally have just walked off stage from preaching, and I met you and, and Carla, and y'all were like, we lost the feed to Greenville. And I, I just I just remember getting so angry, I just threw my water bottle completely across the room. I'm, and so, like... Like I'm 30 seconds removed from talking about the grace of God, and I'm throwing a water bottle, and I'm screaming, we're having a meeting this afternoon, I'm tired of this crap, and so it's just so frustrating. Oh my God, I'm so glad we didn't have a camera back, we probably did, that's probably on YouTube somewhere. And so I remember that afternoon we had the meeting, and we had to make the decision, because the safe thing to do, the safe thing to do was... Um, all right, let's go week delay. And I'm not against week delay. There's some great churches out there, great ministries doing week delay, and I'm not cracking on it. I'm saying um, it, it is the right thing to do for, for a lot of churches. But for us, we just felt like, man, I don't, I don't want to play it safe. We, we really, really believe this technology was worth pursuing, and it was worth the struggles and the frustrations. Um, so you guys gave me some Valium, and after that we were fine. That's a joke. We didn't give me any Valium. But it, it was like, hey, and you know what was funny, Shane? I remember after that meeting that day, I think for the next several weeks, we didn't lose the feet. Mm-hmm. Like it just, but it was almost like God was going, you really, you guys really want this? Like you, you really want this? You really want this? Because so many people give up right about the time there's about to be a breakthrough. Right. And it's like you don't... Like when when you're when you're right there at the end. I mean, don't get, keep pushing through, especially if that's what God told you to do. Because we really did feel like God was telling us to do that. Now, now there were times of question. I don't know. Okay, was that God or was that the pizza? But we really felt that was ultimately God. Yeah, I think we've learned just in that area that you can do something good and it'll be safe, or you can do something great and it'll probably be really risky. Yep. And it's just right before the break through we were challenged with that another thing i want to bring up are that's technology well in both of those places both greenville and florence over the last two years we've also lost facilities Mm -hmm. so we've had to redirect that let's talk about that i mean this is a big money big changes we could have pulled out of those uh towns for a hundred different reasons why did we stick to it even facing the resistance of losing facilities well you know god called us to go there we knew that i mean we knew that beyond i mean the whole idea of starting a satellite campus, it was never it's never been our desire to create some sort of empire. It's just been our desire to do church. And, hey, we're, we feel like we, we do church good. I mean, I don't think we're the perfect church, mainly because I'm the pastor. But, um, I, and, hey, we could do this in Greenville. We, we, there are more people to reach for the gospel, and so let's just do this. And so, 
So we knew that God had called us to Greenville. We knew that God had called us to Florence. And um, specifically with the Greenville campus, we invested, you know, millions of dollars into a facility. And who knew that that organization that we had leased from was going to go bankrupt and it was going to get thrown into court. And because I remember the first day I heard about it, I went, oh, yeah, that's really bad. And a month later, they're like, okay, we've got how many days to get out of there? Holy crap. And so... We had, we had, we had, we literally went from a permanent campus to a portable campus and nobody planned that one. That's like church planting backwards. So we, but that's what we did. And you know, God's blessed it, man. God has blessed it. We've seen, we've seen a lot of awesome things happen in Greenville because of that specific move. And I'll just tell church planners, you know, you need a building when God says you need a building. I mean, that's exactly when you need one. And so when God tells us to pursue a building, we'll pursue one. But, man, we're just supposed to, I mean, load in, load out, and, and just have fun with it. Yep. You know, the first thing I think about is um, how much fruit we've seen since that move. We've seen so many salvations. If you miss Mom's Day at New Spring, go back to that and watch that oh, that uh, Internet uh, feed on that deal because, it. I mean, we the community is going to be changed forever, and we could have bailed out, but we listened to God. Resistance. The other thing I think that's practical for the guys listening, guys and gals listening to this, may be uh, resistance you face in just communicating to your staff or your organizational structure. Uh, as as our organization grows, we face. I mean, communication is never where we want it to be. The structure is always under question, and that can feel like resistance because people have to change the way they do things. Let's talk about how uh, resistance you get in the organization in regards to changes. Yeah, I think one of the mistakes I've made as a leader, um, one of the many, is in the past I have um, I have perceived a staff member who is genuinely asking questions for the purpose of understanding something as resistance, and that was um, a lot of that was my insecurity um, and my inexperience as a leader. And I finally began to understand that 99% of the time when a, you know, because in a leadership meeting, we will process decisions, we will talk about them, we will evaluate them. There have been decisions that we've made that have taken up to six months to um, implement. And so then we'll come out of a leadership meeting and we'll just go tell our staff, well, hey, this is what we're doing. Well, it took us six months to formulate that decision and we just dropped it on them in six seconds. And so naturally there's some, um, the first question anybody asks when, when presented with new changes, how does that affect me? So they got to process through that. Um, they got to process through how does this affect my department? How does this affect, you know, blank? How does this, and so they want to ask questions, but like I said, 99% of the time, the reason they're asking questions is so they can understand it better and implement it with excellence. And so we've just kind of had, got this policy, hey, man, this is what we're going to do. If you want to ask questions, ask questions. Now, on the flip side, if you're still asking questions three or four weeks later, um, okay, okay, here's the line in the sand. You either cross it or you stay there. But you've got to create that window for your staff and your key leaders in your church to ask questions and, not, and don't call that disloyal. Disloyal is saying, yes, boss, I think that's a great idea, and going back to your computer and sending out your resume. Right. That's disloyal. Um, 
disloyalty is not asking questions. Disloyalty is disloyalty is walking out and going, you know, in the staff break room and going, I think that guy's a moron. I mean, that's disloyalty. Loyalty is asking questions for the purpose of understanding it better so you can implement it with excellence. That's good. I was just thinking that uh, sometimes resistance, especially for people on the inside that are a part of your team, resistance is really sometimes just a period of refinement for them so everybody gets on the on the same page and we can move forward more rapidly. Uh, in that meeting, in the clip we listened to, you said that some people are scared of resistance, but it actually pumps you up. Mm-hmm. So 10 years into this ministry, two years after uh, going from one campus to now four and, and very soon five, you still are you still pumped up about resistance? Yeah, because it, ne- you know, it never feels good, but it makes you stronger. Um, resistance is one of those things where if we're always getting it, then we always, we always know that we're doing the right thing. And, you know, I want to be very clear here because I don't, I don't want people to misconstrue this and say, well, everybody's against me. So I think I must be doing the will of God. No. Okay. If everybody is against you, then you need to stop and figure out what the heck you're doing. I mean, at, at all these points of resistance, um, it, 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 you got to get resistance from the right people. Like you said, if people that love Jesus and love me are coming to me going, hey, bro, not a great idea. Hey, I think that's crossing the line. Hey, I think we're making a mistake here. That's not resistance. Um, that is re- rebuke, and, and you yeah. got to listen to that. Um, so I don't, I don't want people to just go, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. That's like jumping out of the plane without a parachute going, oh, you know, God will figure it out. Well, that's stupid. I mean, that's what Satan told Jesus to do, jump off the temple without a parachute. Hey, I've got half a verse here that might help you out. Um, I, don't, I just don't think that's smart. So, but going back to your question, yeah, resistance still pumps me up because I'm like, well, that must mean we're doing something right. That's good. You know, you mentioned earlier Nehemiah, you mentioned Paul. Uh, and I just thought about the fact Nehemiah, the wall still got built. Yep. Paul still saw people saved and the church advanced. And so there's got to be some level of progress and some level of a fruit. And, and you're right. If you're not seeing any of that and you're just moving forward, your resistance probably is rebuke that you need to pay attention to. Uh, as we wind down, Perry, I just, I'm just curious about this because you talked about David with the lions and the bears and then getting him ready for the giant. I'm just wondering, for us, have we ever really faced a giant? You know, we, we've faced some things that I thought were giants. But, you know, Shane, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that we have. Um, and if, if we have, um, God has been so faithful that we don't know it. Uh, I mean, one of, one of the things that can happen um, in a church is when they face resistance, they can get just completely overwhelmed and go, oh, my gosh, I I guess it's over. Like, I guess it's over. And they don't stop and look back at all the amazing things that the Lord has brought them through. I mean, he's he's faithful. He really is that faithful. I I remember um, sitting at this table right here and having a conversation about... um, whether or not we were going to do the building project we did back in 2007 that cost $20 million. And it was like $20, $20 million. And so we were in this room, 
and it was all the leadership and like everybody had said everything and then everybody was quiet and I didn't know why and I looked up and everybody was looking at me going all right well what do you think and I was like oh my gosh um I think I just crapped my pants uh, I'm gonna have to go home now and I remember going I can't make the decision and I went home and talked to Lucretia um who's my wife and and we're kind of having this conversation and and I was like, baby, it's $20 million. It's $20 million. Oh, my gosh, it's $20 million. And she just said, hey, when we moved for the first time from the Sullivan Building to the Fine Arts Center, how much money did it take? And I was like, 20000 And she was just saying, well, you know, Perry, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the same God that covered 20000 can cover $20 million. Because you know, at the at at the time, 20000 might have might as well have been $20 million because we didn't have it either way. Um, and I think we had four people in the church at the time that actually tithed. And so it was like, oh, my gosh. But looking back, it's like, all right, the same God that paid that bill can pay this bill. And so he really is that faithful. So we faced some things that we thought were giants, but I I, I don't know. If, if we have faced the giant, then we took the sling and the stone, he, you know, hit him in the head, cut his head off, and we're continuing to go because God's just been that faithful. Well, that's a perfect place for us to wrap this up. We appreciate you joining us today, uh, and we'll see you next month. Bye.